By the way, did you guys know that there's a fish uh, in lakes here in northern Minnesota called the dogfish? Have you guys ever heard of that fish before? There was a young man by the name of Nolan who told me, yeah, wherever Nolan is, he said there's dogfish. And I argued with him for about 20 minutes that there's no such thing as a dogfish. And what he was trying to describe was a catfish. Okay, but there is a dogfish. It's called a bowfin, right? Is that what it is? So uh, we're going to have to come up here and, and do some fishing and come back and visit you guys. But uh, really life, if, if we think about life, life really is, it really is all about just moments, isn't it? I mean, we all have different moments we experience throughout life. We have moments that are very mundane or routine, and we think to ourselves, am I even making a difference? Am I even really doing anything with my life? Am I really accomplishing my life? I've realized moms can sometimes feel this way, and being, especially being a stay-at-home mom. It's that thought that goes through your head of like, what am I even doing? Is, is there even a purpose to what I'm doing? And those kinds of things. And, but then we also have moments that are really extravagant or moments that stick with us or moments that are really hard to forget. Sometimes they're amazing moments, like for me, the amazing moments was getting to marry my wife, and I'll never forget my wedding day and the moment where my daughter was born and for the first time holding a brand new baby and getting to pray over my daughter was one of the most significant moments of my life. But then we also have the contrary to that too, don't we? We, we have moments that are sometimes filled with pain or hurt or sin or moments where we wonder why did that happen or we go through trials or, or different temptations or maybe even sometimes it's moments where we didn't necessarily choose it, but we feel like those moments just sort of chose us. And out of all the moments that I've experienced in my short years of life, there are no moments that have run deeper and have meant more to me and have stuck with me, even through the worst moments, than the moments that I've had with Jesus than the moments and the encounters that I've had with God. And what God desires to do when you look at Scripture and you look at the Bible, from the very moment you open up the first page of your Bible to the very moment you close the last page of the Bible, really what the Bible is, is literally God encountering man. And God desiring to show us and to show people on earth how he encounters us, how he meets us, how he desires to be with us. And the whole reason for our existence and our purpose on earth, the whole reason why we have breath in our lungs, for some of us one-year-old in the room, for some of us 85 years old in the room, the reason why we have breath in the lungs is because God made us and designed us, unlike anything else, to simply be with us, to simply walk with us, to do life with us, to get to know us, for us to get to know him. And there is a reason and there is a purpose as to why we are here. And I want to talk about today on what it looks like when God encounters us, when God meets us. Because what God desires to do is to encounter you today, to encounter you in your tomorrows, and to encounter you in your future. All throughout scripture, you see God encountering man, some uh, through pictures, some through visions, some through God himself, through his son Jesus walking this earth, and then some through the Holy Spirit when Jesus left the earth and God gave us his Holy Spirit. If you brought your Bible today, and if you didn't, it's okay, I'll go ahead and read, read it to you, but we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6. This literally is one of the most like beautiful, one of the most um, difficult definitive encounters with God and man. It's a man by the name of Isaiah. I'm just going to give you a little context, a little background on what's going around. By the way, if you're new to church or you don't normally go to church, I want to say you're welcome here. We're really happy you're here. You can be yourself and just the way that you came in. You don't have to be anybody else, but we really believe that it's God's word that when it's applied to our life, that it can change us, that it can transform us. And when God's word encounters you, it does something inside of you. And so Isaiah chapter 6, uh, Isaiah was a prophet. 
This guy was a prophet. And if you don't know what a prophet is, a prophet was someone that literally was a mouthpiece for God. When God would speak, he spoke through somebody called a prophet. They would assist kings. Uh, Kings would often consult prophets before they went into battle. Before they made major decisions, they would ask a prophet because the prophet was known to be a mouthpiece for God. Isaiah was a prophet for a reign of during four kings. And one king in particular, his name was Uzziah. Everybody say Uzziah. King Uzziah reigned for 52 years in the southern part of Israel. King Uzziah was a very uh, uh, famous, prosperous king. Uh, When the people had King Uzziah as their king, they felt comfortable. They felt prosperity. They felt peace. For 52 years, this was a guy who knew how to uh, bring agriculture, bring commerce and business, know how to fortify cities. Uh, When King Uzziah was in charge and overseeing, Everyone just kind of felt at ease and felt like they could take a deep breath a little bit. So no one was really shaken up. People were experiencing wealth, food on the table. And as long as needs were being met, no one really kind of cared what was going on. So this guy led for 52 years. And right, right when we get into Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, King Uzziah dies. Now when a great leader or someone of significance dies, what happens to people? People start to freak out. They start to get stressed out a bit. They start to feel chaotic, like what in the world is going to happen to our family? What's going to happen to our country? This political leader, this president, this king for 52 years has done an amazing job, and now all of a sudden he falls dead. He's dead. And so there's stress in the land. There is anxiety in the land. There's chaos in the land. And even Isaiah, who is writing this book in in the Bible, in, in Isaiah, even he is feeling a little bit stressed out and anxious until he goes to the temple and something amazing happens. This is a powerful picture. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Time out. Anytime you read your Bible and you see the word Lord there and you see in capital L, or lowercase o-r-d, anytime you see that in scripture, what that is referencing to is a Hebrew word, because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, a Hebrew word called Adonai. All Adonai means is this, God is sovereign. That's what it means. God is sovereign. If you don't know what sovereign means, it means this, God can see everything and he's in control. So Picture this. Isaiah is saying this in a time when it's really chaotic, really stressful, really anxious. He gets a picture from God seating high on his throne, and he says, I saw the Lord. In other words, he's saying, guys, I saw God. I saw him high and lifted up. And by the way, he's in control. He's on the throne. Everything is okay. And I just want to say this. This isn't a point today, but I just want to make this point. In our country, in the United States of America, we have so many different thoughts and viewpoints and perspectives and all these different things going on around us, different things with our business, with our company, trying to lead a family, a president who's in power with so many different mixed opinions, all these kinds of things. I just want to say this. It does not matter what happens politically. It does not matter what happens governmentally. It does not matter what happens within your business, the employer you work for, any of those kinds of things. The reason why it doesn't matter is this. is because God is still on the throne. God is still sovereign, and he's still in control. And you can, you can take confidence in that. You can rest in that. Because sometimes when we really get chaotic and stressed out, the reason being is because we become our own God. Meaning we want to control everything. We want to be in charge. We want to know every little detail that's going on. God is just saying this. I want you to have a perspective that's bigger than your own control. And I want you to have a perspective of me sitting on the throne still in control. Me being sovereign. And oftentimes it's a perspective issue. So Isaiah sees God on the throne seated high and lifted up. 
It says he sees him seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In verse 2, it says this, above him were seraphim. If you don't know what seraphim means, it's a plural word meaning many angels, okay? So Isaiah gets this picture of God on a throne. Then he says he sees many angels, each with six wings. Two wings, they covered their faces. Two, they covered their feet. Two, they were flying, and they were calling one to another. This is crazy. These angels, these dedicated angels around God in his throne room were saying this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. I love the fact that God, in his greatness and his bigness and in his, him being in control, him being sovereign, there is dedicated angels called seraphim who literally are around him saying and singing the songs and the words, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Do you realize the one characteristic about God repeated in the Bible more than two times is God's holiness? God is grace, but you don't see God being called grace, grace, grace. God is truth, but you don't see him called, being called truth, truth, truth. God is love, mercy, kindness, gentleness. He's all those things. But the one characteristic of God that you see repeated three times in Scripture, you know what it is? It's his holiness. It's his purity. It's how perfect he is. It's how spotless he is. It's his holiness. And the very angels are crying out about how holy God is. And I want to emphasize that point because the response when Isaiah sees him is powerful. It says in verse 4, at the, their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook. The temple was filled with smoke. In verse 5, listen to Isaiah's response. This is crazy. He says, woe to me. Whenever a prophet speak, they would start, when they'd address an assembly or address a group of people, they would start off by saying one of two words, okay? They would start off by either saying, woe, and if they ever started off by saying, whoa, literally a curse would typically follow, meaning something negative was about to come out of their mouth. If a prophet started off with blessed or blessed, then something awesome would follow. Isaiah's response to a very picture of encountering God is, God, woe is me. God, who am I? And then it goes on to say this, woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined. Another word for ruined here is destroyed or annihilated. Isaiah is saying, God, in how awesome you are, I feel so undone, I feel so unworthy, destroyed, for I, listen to what he says, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Your first point is this, is when you encounter God, he convicts us of our when you encounter God and you have a true encounter with God, it will always convict you of your sin. Now, let me just explain this a little bit. Sometimes when we hear the word conviction, we think of prison. We think of something really bad. We think of an evil person. I just want to explain the difference between conviction and condemnation because there is a difference. Conviction is one that's rooted in love. Condemnation is one that's rooted in hate. God brings conviction. The enemy or the stupid devil brings condemnation because it's out of hate. Here's what conviction is like. Conviction is like this. I live off a really busy road called Ron Road. Super busy. Even more busy now because there's an outlet mall that's put up. And so we have about a couple thousand or more cars a day that drive by every day. As a young boy growing up, uh, I would play soccer with my dad. A soccer ball was going into the street. And as it was going in the street, I was probably about three or four years old. I was running out after it right before I got to the road, right before I got to the street. I heard my dad's voice go, stop. Stop. And I remember as a four-year-old, I just, I froze. And then, boom, a car went right by. Had I kept going into the road, had I not listened to my father's voice, I would have, dead. I would have been dead as a young boy. 
This is what conviction is. Conviction is the father who loves you through his son Jesus saying, stop. There's something better for you. You don't have to choose sin. You don't have to choose this way. Just stop. There's something better for you. That's what conviction is. Condemnation is, is this. Yeah, that's right you go on the road. Yeah, that's right you choose sin because that's who you are. You're evil. You're messed up. You're a horrible person. Why don't you just keep doing it? Then you feel worse about yourself. You feel worse about who you are. You feel even more guilty. You feel even more ashamed. It's like the shame doesn't stop. It just keeps going. Conviction is one that wants to heal you. Condemnation is one that wants to hurt you. And what Isaiah sees here when he encounters God is he says this, Oh my word, I am a messed up person. Oh my word, I'm a sinful person. And know what's interesting about this? This is supposed to be the pastor of the day. This is supposed to be like the really pure religious guy. This is supposed to be the guy who uses his very mouth to speak utterances of God, to speak a message from God. And here is this guy saying, Woe is me, I am an unclean person. You know what that tells me? This is really good news for all of us in the room. It tells me this. There is not one person in the room that is perfect, that is holy, that is right. And every single person in the room that would encounter God would have the same response as Isaiah and say, woe is me. The pastor in the room, myself in the room, any elders or board members in the room, our response would be the same exact thing. It tells me this. Everyone is on even level playing ground. And you have no right to boast about your righteousness. The only righteousness any one of us could ever boast about is how good God is. That is it. It's not about your works. It's not about how good you can be. It's not about how many times you can stop sinning within a week. That's not about it. It's about you being covered by the grace and blood of Jesus that was shed for you so that you could boast about how good God is and not how good you are. That is the power of the gospel, and God's conviction will always lead you into repentance. And by the way, it's his kindness that leads you into a changed life, not his hate, not his wrath. That is not what leads you into a changed life. You see Isaiah say, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. This is what I love, though. This is so cool. This is your second point. Is God, when he encounters you, he will convict you of sin. And the second point is this. When God encounters you, he heals you. When God encounters you, he heals you. Listen to what it says in verse 6. It says, then, after he got done saying, woe is me, then one of the angels flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. You know what I love about serving Jesus and serving God is I love him so much that he's willing to convict me, but he's not willing to convict me just to convict me. He's willing to convict me so he can heal me. He wants to heal me. And I think it's one thing if God were to point out your sin or God were to point out your mess or your junk and be like, see, see how messed up you are? Go figure it out yourself. No, that's not how he works. But he says, see, I love you so much that I would, did not design you for that choice. I did not design you for those things. I love you so much, and I love you so much that I'm willing to show you and reveal it to you, but then I'm willing to heal you. In a moment, Isaiah, who felt guilty and who felt ashamed, in a moment felt healed. God's encountering him healed him. And for some of you in the room, you're wrestling through different things. You're struggling through different things. You're choosing things time and time again. You don't understand why it is. God doesn't just give a behavior. God looks for heart transformation. God desires to heal hearts in the room. God desires to transform hearts, to transform minds. And for some of us, maybe in here, a marriage is on the rocks. And you've been battling things or you're finding yourself not having grace anymore for your spouse. Or it's always on edge or things are always pulling back and forth, or for some of you in the room, maybe you've had temptations of an affair or doing different things like that and all those kinds of things. I just want you to know the only way out for you is Jesus.
The only way out for your heart and for your mind is Jesus. And what God desires to do is to give you a grace for your spouse, to give you a love for your spouse, to give you a, serv- a servant's heart for one another, to be able to see healing come into your relationship. Growing up, I had three younger sisters. I was the oldest boy in my family. Uh, that had its challenges. I really wanted a brother. Okay, bad. I wanted to wrestle somebody. I wanted to just go on dirt bikes with somebody. I, I, I wanted just to punch somebody every now and then, okay? I had all sisters, and I'm the oldest, all right? I, it was a struggle, okay? And so, um, <laughs> so growing up, I, I, I endured a lot. I've been through a lot. Uh, my dad was a volunteer youth pastor. He was a local firefighter. My dad owned his own business. At the same time of that, he was also a local youth pastor at the church we grew up. Uh, some years later, my dad ended up leaving my mom for another woman, uh, ended up doing drugs, falling into a lifestyle of drugs. Um, I just saw a lot of crazy things growing up. And my dad left our family. I was about the age of 13 when he did that. And then uh, my youngest sister, her name's Victoria, when she was eight years old, my mom found a large bump in her leg and brought her to the doctor and found out there was a six-inch by eight-inch tumor in her right leg. She was eight years old. And now uh, when the doctors did biopsy on the tumor, they found out she had stage four cancer, and they gave her a 20% chance to live. To remove the tumor, they had to get all four quadriceps out of her leg removed and so that the tumor could be just enough off the bone. So they removed all four quadriceps, removed the tumor. She was supposed to be in a body cast the majority of her life because she wasn't going to be able to walk for a long time. And I remember I was home with my sister. She was supposed to stay in bed and not move until she got ready for a cast, a body cast. And I heard my sister crying in another room. So I went into her bedroom. I opened up the door. I run in there. and I say, hey, Victoria, what's the matter? What's going on? Are you okay? Did you fall? Like, do you have a bad dream? What happened? She goes, Micah, I saw Jesus. An eight-year-old girl, this, Micah, I saw Jesus. And I'm looking around the room, and I'm like, well, I don't really see Jesus. And she's like, no, no, I, I saw a vision of Jesus. I was like, well, what did you see? She said he was wearing this, like, purple robe and this crown, and he came into my bedroom He knelt down to my bedside, and he touched my leg, and he told me I could get up and I could walk. And she's telling me this through tears. This is an eight-year-old girl giving me a vivid description of how she saw Jesus. And I said, Victoria, just stay in your bed. I don't want you getting up. The doctor said you're supposed to be fitted for a body cast. I want you to stay in your bed. You're too fresh, hon. You need to stay put. And she looked at me. She goes, no, Micah, I can get up, and I can walk across this room. And my sister got up and walked across the room. And she's never needed a body cast, ever. She's walking, she's running, she's doing things you never thought. After two years of going through all the chemotherapy and radiation her body could handle, uh, God did a miraculous healing in her body. All the tumors spread to her lungs. She has been cancer-free now for over 15 years. The doctors at the hospital call her the miracle child. When God encounters you, he heals you. And for some of you who are in the room and are trying to figure out, is this even real? Is this even worth living? Why don't, you give, why don't you give God a chance? Why don't you give him a shot? Why don't you read the scriptures for yourself? Why don't you dig in for yourself? I don't understand why God heals some people and why he doesn't heal other people. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. But all I know is I'm not called to play the role of God. That's God's job. But I'm called to have faith and to believe. For some of you in here, you've gone through a hard past, you've gone through different things, you've gone through struggles, and you're sitting in the room today asking the question, how in the world can God be real? How in the world can God be real when God does this, or God allows this, and God does these kinds of things? All I know is this, is we live in a really broken world, not because God designed a broken world, but because man chose a brokenness. Man chose sin. 
And because of that, there's been separation. Because of that, there's been sin. There's been disease. But what God's whole mission is and his whole gospel is all about is healing what's been broken, healing what's been lost, healing what's happened in the past. If there's anybody who has a reason to say, screw God, forget God, throw up two middle fingers and walk out on God, it's me. There's so much of my story I've left out. There's so much I've endured. There's so much I've seen that's allowed me to say, forget God. But I've also had moments where I've had encounters with God where I know even if I walked away from God, I know I'd be living in rebellion and lying. Because I know how real God is and how true he is. And God desires to meet you right where you're at. You see, God not only convicts you, but he also heals you. And then our natural response when God heals us, and this is your third point, is when you encounter God, he always sends you. He always sends you. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, this is what I mean. It says that his guilt and his sin was atoned for. And then in verse 8, it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Anna, you can come on up and play behind me. Isaiah's natural response from encountering God was, Lord, here am I, send me. You notice how Isaiah didn't have to contemplate or spend hours thinking about, should I do this or should I not? God became so real to him that there was no questioning him about his response of being healed and then of being sent. And still today, what God looks for, even 2,000 years ago from when Jesus walked this earth, he's asking the same question, saying, who's going to go? Who will be sent? Who will follow me? But then who will allow their lives to be laid down for my sake, for my glory, so that God might be glorified? My family, we visited a, a family car mechanic for years, for about 25 years. And when my dad, when he loved Jesus and my dad was on fire for God, he uh, prayed for this car mechanic and would go visit him and bring him coffee and those kinds of things. And uh, my dad would every now and then just say, hey, can I, can I share with you about what God's done in my life? And he'd be like, sure, whatever. My dad would just say, yeah, you know, I've, I've been brought out of a lifestyle of drugs. I was doing all these different kinds of things. And then God met me right in the middle of my mess. And he would share the gospel with Rich. And Rich would be like, nah, man, that's not for me. That's just for, for whatever kind of people. No, that's not for me. I'm not, I'm not going to choose that. And uh, for 25 years, Rich just kind of lived his life. He's about 60 years old, and I went and dropped my car off about four months ago. When I dropped my car off, uh, Rich pulled me aside, and he just said, Hey, Micah, uh, i got to tell you something. I said, What's going on? He said, I was just diagnosed with cancer, and I don't really know what to do. And I was like, Hey, man, can I, can I pray for you? Because I believe God can heal you. I've watched him heal my sister. I believe God can heal you. He goes, Yeah, whatever you want to do is fine. So every morning I would pray for Rich. I prayed that God would heal his body so that hopefully through a healing, God might show how awesome he is so that he might give his life to Jesus, that God would do that. So every morning I prayed for Rich. Well, two weeks ago I get a phone call saying Rich is in the hospital and there's a liter of fluid dripping from his lungs every day that they have to drain and it's getting worse. Cancer spreading all over to his body. I go into the hospital. I see him laying there. I say, right before I leave, I say, Rich, can we pray for you? He said, yeah, but I got a question for you. And uh, he said, I just want to get your thoughts on it. And later, now I realize that his question was more so rather than about truth. It was asking about where's my soul going to be? What's the truth about my soul? And he asked me this question. He said, I have a Mormon guy who comes to my mechanic shop. And he found out about my home address. And this Mormon guy showed up to my house unannounced. 
he asked if he could pray for me. I was like, whatever, do whatever you want to do. So this Mormon guy started praying for me. Then he asked if he could call the elders of his church to come pray for me. I was like, sure, whatever. So his elders came over to his church, did like this weird prayer ritual oil thing. He's like, Michael, it's just kind of all weird to me. What do you think about that? And my buddy and I got to sit there and got to explain to him the simple gospel that, Rich, the gospel is this, man, that this life is all about Jesus. And you and I, we were born into sin. You and I, we know how to sin, don't we? Our nature is to know how to mess up or screw up. And he's like, yeah, I can relate to that. And I was like, Rich, this is the exact gospel, is that God knew that you and I could never save ourselves. God knew that you and I would never be good enough to save ourselves, but that God needed to send his one and only son, Jesus, to demonstrate his love for you and for I, Rich, to know that we could never make it or never be good enough for him. And Rich, the simple gospel is this, is that while you and I were messed up people, while you and I were always choosing the wrong things, God loved us so much that he demonstrated his love for us by giving up his son for us. And Rich, how we become clean is not by our own efforts or works, but how we become clean is because of the grace and love of Jesus if we just merely receive it. And when Rich was listening to the gospel in his hospital bed, he begins to just break down and start crying right there in his hospital bed. And I sit down on one side of the bed and my buddy sits down on the hospital on the other side of the bed. I grab his hand and I say, Rich, do you want to receive Jesus as Lord of your life? And Rich barely could make it. I was like, yes, yes, I do. And right there on the spot, we prayed with Rich to receive Jesus. One week later, so a week ago, I get a phone call hearing that Rich passed away and took his last breath. It took 25 years of people praying for him, of my mom bringing him brownies and baked goods. I just happened to show up at a point in time in history where this guy could come to know Jesus. And after he, he received Christ into his heart, he took this big breath. He was like, it was like, it was like a relief for his soul, knowing where he was going to be. It was a relief to his mind and to his heart, knowing that for years of walking away from God, that in one moment, God was so close and so near than ever before. And Rich, with his own mouth, says, that was the most glorious moment of my life. The most glorious moment of any of our lives is the moment that Christ's love finds us. It's the moment where God's encounter finds us and chooses us time and time again. I just want to say this. It does not matter your past. It does not matter where you've been. It doesn't matter where you've walked this past week or the past 30, 40, 50 years. God's grace and God's love will meet you whenever you're willing to surrender your life to him and say, God, my life is not my own, but my life is yours. Whenever truth is preached, whenever truth is given, there must be a response. There must be a decision back, a response to say yes or a response to say no. There's been many times where God encountered man through his son Jesus on earth, and there were many who cried out in desperation to him and were saved and were healed. There were also many who came to Jesus, but they didn't want to follow him because they didn't want to lay down everything and give their life to him. When God meets you and God encounters you, he'll convict you, he'll heal you, and then he'll send you. The response to the broken needs and the broken things in this world has always been Jesus and will always continue to be Jesus. And the solution to the human heart, you will spend the rest of your life trying to figure out what life is all about until you encounter God's grace and his forgiveness for your life. Then it starts to make sense. And here we are in a room on a Sunday morning knowing and hearing about the greatest solution to the human heart, it being Jesus. And how he desires to live through you and how he desires to move through you and through your family. You know, I come through generational lines of brokenness, 
My dad left my mom. His dad left his mom for a different lady. I come through a line of brokenness. But through the grace and love of Jesus, it doesn't have to be my story. It doesn't have to be my outcome too. And no matter where you've come from, no matter the family lines that you've come through or any of those kinds of things, God says that there is new mercies every morning for your life. There are new mercies and new graces for you to walk in every day of your life. What I want to do this morning is to lead us to a spot of decision and a spot of response. So if you guys could bow your heads, close your eyes, no one looking around. This is a moment between you and God. But God knew that you'd be here for such a time as this to encounter his grace, his love, and his mercy. If anyone's here and you're saying, hey, I haven't walked with Jesus, I haven't been walking with him, or I've never given my life to Jesus, but I want to give my life to Jesus, and I want to start walking with Jesus, you need to know this. Jesus first chose you. Even if you never choose him, you got to know this. Jesus chose you knowing full well that you might not ever choose him. What kind of love is that? What kind of love is that that's so unconditional that would choose people knowing full well that they might not ever choose them? Well, today, this morning, this is an opportunity for you to choose him back. So on the count of three, I just want you to lift your hand if you're saying, hey, I'm not walking with Christ and I want to come back to him. Or to say, hey, I want to give my life to him for the first time. One, two, no one looking around. Three, just put up your hand if that's you. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Anybody else? So cool. I see about three hands raised today. That's awesome. The Bible says when one person comes back home, when one person comes to repentance, that there's a party literally going on in heaven in celebration of those who've come back to Jesus. That's an amazing thing. Church, as just church-wide, I just want all of you guys to pray with me, to repeat after me. The Bible says when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died and rose again for you, that you would be saved or that you would be rescued. The first step to being rescued is being heard. So would you guys just repeat after me today? Say, Jesus, thank you for dying on a cross for me, for my past, for my hurt, and for my sins. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your healing. And help me to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Can we give a clap and just thank God? That's awesome. That's amazing. I just want to say this. I just want to say this. God did not design your life for isolation or for being alone or for trying to do it in your own strength. In fact, when Jesus died about 50 days later, the Holy Spirit showed up on earth, was poured out, and something called the church was started. The church in Scripture was never about a building. It was never about brick and mortar. The church in the actual word means people, the assembly of people. And what we have this morning, the reason why it's called a church is not because of a building, although this is a beautiful facility. The reason why we're called a church is because there's people here who are like-minded who desire to follow Jesus. And I just want to say this. If you are looking for a church or you haven't found a church, I want to say welcome home. You've just found a place if you want to start going to a church. But I will say this. You desperately need people in your life to pray with you, to encourage you, to strengthen you. If you just gave your life to Jesus or you've come back to Jesus, know this. God set up his church why? So that we might encourage one another, so we might build each other up, support one another, to 
keep going on, to encourage us to keep following his word and to follow him with the rest of our life. That's why he gave us it. I'm telling you what right now. Had it not been for a church like this or people in a building like this, I do not know where my life would be. I would be strung out on drugs, potentially homeless, or maybe have even committed suicide. I know that's where my life would be. But it's because of people like you who saw a young boy who took him into his home, father figures who adopted me into their house, those kinds of things, who loved a young boy that's allowed me to go and share a story of God's forgiveness and redemption all over the country. Cross Lake, I thank God for you. I pray God's favor and his blessing upon you. And thank you so much for having me. Pastor, would you come? God bless.